Thank you, John. Well, good, good morning again, and uh, welcome on this Easter Sunday. I want to ask you a question. What would it take to get you to change loyalty to something? So let's say, for example, you're a coffee drinker and you're a Tim's person. What would it take to change you into a Starbucks person? besides a raise. Uh, or maybe you're like an athletic apparel person and you wear all Adidas. What would it take to change you into a Nike person and to take all of your Adidas stuff and put it on Facebook Marketplace and sell it? What would it take you to change loyalty? And maybe you're dating somebody. No, we won't go, we won't go there. But let's think about faith for a second. What would it take you to change loyal, your loyalty to your faith or to a belief system? Because if you're a Christian today, at some point in your life, you made a change in loyalty. You saw your life through a certain lens or through a certain systems of beliefs or ideas, and then something happened in your life, and you changed your way of thinking, or you changed your loyalty, and you changed it to the person into the way of Jesus. Or maybe you were a person of faith, and you grew up in the church, and you switched your loyalty away from Christianity or away from faith or your belief system. Because something happened, or you read something, or you got thinking about some certain things, and you wrestled with it, and you came to that conclusion, and you changed your loyalty. And, and the reason you did so today, um, maybe you would even be refreshed today in your faith as you watch this service, if that's your story. Well, this morning, we're going to look at an account found at the end of Mark's gospel where someone switched their loyalty, not just from a system and a way of living, but a whole culture towards the person and the way of Jesus. Uh, since January, we've been reading through the Gospel of Mark. And so for some of you today, good news, we're finished. Um, and we've been kind of working through the scriptures, kind of chapter by chapter, looking at the themes and unpacking the message of this first account of the life of Jesus Christ. And Mark's Gospel has in it three confessions, one at the beginning, one at the middle, and the one that we'll look at today at the very end. Three occasions where someone declares that Jesus is Lord. Um, someone that, you know, had encountered Jesus maybe as a follower in a crowd, had heard him speak. Maybe they'd been a recipient of his ministry. And along the way, they came to the conclusion themselves that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they transferred their loyalty to him in that moment. The first confession came at the very beginning of Mark's gospel, the very first verse, and it's actually by Mark himself. Now, Mark's a Jewish man. He grew up attending worship in the synagogue. And you might say that he had a little bit of an advantage because he was kind of familiar with the idea of the Messiah and what that might look like. And he had come across the person of Jesus and wrestled with his own commitment and decision and came to a place where he says, I'm ready to make a confession and to switch the loyalty of my life to Jesus. The second confession comes in the middle of Mark's gospel, and it's a confession of Peter. Peter was a rough and tough fisherman. Uh, he grew up, though, Jewish and was familiar probably with the scriptures, but he had a little bit of an advantage. He had spent three years following Jesus day in and day out, watching him up close and personal, not just seeing the stuff that everybody else saw. He got to see the stuff that nobody else saw, all the behind-the-scenes moments that really gives you a sense of what somebody is like. And he declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He owns it, and he transfers his loyalty to Jesus. Now, it's important to remember, there was no benefits 
in making a confession like this for either of these two or quite frankly for anybody else. You know, it's not like if you work for a company and they give you some big jacket with their logo on it and you kind of wear it around hoping your boss will see you in public because it'll go well for you. There was none of that. Uh, there was no financial incentive. This wasn't going to make you more popular in the business community. In fact, for many people who confess Jesus as the Son of God, it created suspicion around them because people weren't quite sure at this point what to think of this new religious movement that was beginning. But there was this movement going on that as people encountered the person of Jesus Christ, they transferred their loyalty to him. Which brings us to our third confession today. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to Mark chapter 15. Start it. We're going to start reading at verse 33 or take out your phones and look it up on whatever app that you might use there. But let me remind you about what's happened just as we kind of inch up towards these verses. Um, a kangaroo court really breaking all of its own rules has convicted Jesus to death. Jesus is made to walk to the place of crucifixion. And along the way, the Roman guards bring in Simon of Cyrene from North Africa and make him help carry Jesus' cross. Along the way, there was beatings, people spitting on him, insults, people making fun of Jesus. And finally, he is nailed to and raised up on a Roman cross, a means of execution that was really only used in more extreme circumstances and known for its brutality. And that's where we find ourselves as we get to this Mark chapter 15, verse 33 today. Jesus is on the cross. So join me as I read to verse 36. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran and filled a sponge with wine vinegar, which was kind of used to extend life and help nourish them on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, they said mockingly. So the scene is darkness. And Jesus cries out. Now this is the second time that Jesus has cried out in, the, in most recent times. The first was actually not that long ago in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we have this raw moment where Jesus is struggling with the reality that he must suffer and die. Jesus is deeply distressed. The scriptures say that he was feeling overwhelmed and he cries out to God asking him to find another way. And as difficult and painful as this moment was for Jesus, Jesus was still communing with his heavenly father. He was in an attitude and a spirit of prayer, meeting him in these intimate moments in the garden of Gethsemane. But this moment, the one that we're at today is different Jesus cries out because he's experiencing separation from his heavenly father. The one who spoke over him at his baptism and spoke over him at the Mount of Transfiguration and said, this is my son whom I love, is now separated from Jesus. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, forsaken? This is the image of a father and a child separated from each other. And what is happening in this moment is often referred to as the great exchange. You've heard us say, if you've been around River Cross for a while, that Jesus lived the life we were meant to live, and he died the death we were meant to die. And what is happening here is Jesus is paying for, atoning for, all of our sins through his death. 
and a great exchange is taking place. His death for our life. And on the cross, Jesus takes our place. He takes our sin upon himself. And as he does, he experiences separation, forsakenness from his heavenly father. And this is a new feeling for Jesus. And it causes him to cry out. Jesus is in this moment of experiencing at a global level how we feel when we sin. When we've prayed that, God, we will never do that again, and then we did it again. That feeling. That feeling when there's more darkness inside of us than light. When our junk, the stuff that's inside of us, comes out and it messes with other people and we see how it hurts their lives. All of those feelings in this moment, Jesus is experiencing on a global level. So Jesus, burdened with your sin and mine, experiences separation from God, and he cries out. And this is where we find our third confession. Let's keep reading, starting at verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain in the temple was torn from two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, surely or truly, this was the Son of God. This is the third confession by a Roman centurion. Now, I'm going to assume for a second, and you can raise your hand if uh, you know a Roman centurion, and therefore I don't need to explain to you what Roman centurions were like, but let me give you a little bit of a snapshot of what a Roman centurion was like. Um, They were a military person. Uh, They were a warrior. They would be the similar rank to about a captain today. You see this picture here, a really nice fella. I'm sure if your daughter brought him home, you'd be be thrilled. Now, there's a few things that made, made you able to be a centurion. The first was you were a warrior. Centurions did not get appointed to lofty military positions. You worked your way up through the ranks. You survived in battle. You were brutal. Usually these were hardened men by the time you got to be a centurion. You were no stranger to bloodshed and death. Likely having seen hundreds of people die, whether at your sword or maybe in in battle with you alongside. Centurions were also leaders. You had to be 30 years old. Uh, You had to be able to read, which was rare at the time. And you had to be responsible for large groups of soldiers and they had to follow your direction. So you had to have some influence over people as you led But most importantly, centurions had to be loyal. Loyal to Rome, loyal to Pilate, loyal to Caesar, loyal to the Roman laws, loyal to the Roman Empire, and loyal to Roman culture and values. You didn't become a Roman centurion by on your days off on the couch tweeting nasty things about Rome. So here is the centurion. At the foot of the cross, Mark wants us to know he was standing right there seeing everything that happened. And a Jewish rabbi is being executed on a Roman cross. And this is just another day at the office for the centurion. Except it's not. Because Mark tells us that something monumental happens in his life. Inside this hardened warrior. In fact, Mark says two things impacted this guy. He heard Jesus cry and he saw how he died, which makes us amazed at the fact that Jesus influences people in his life and now he's even influencing people in the way that he dies. 
Now, people crying out on a cross during execution would not have been abnormal. But something here is different. When Jesus cries out, he quotes a passage from Psalm 22, My God, my God. This is the language of a child calling out to a father. It's the language of covenant. Jesus was not crying, hey, someone come and help me, or hey, divine force in the universe, I could use a little hand here. Jesus uses the language of relationship. One person lovingly familiar with another asking for help. One person who's feeling far from God calling out, asking for help. One person overwhelmed by the sin that they are carrying and the weight of it, asking for redemption. Friends, when the centurion hears the cry of Jesus asking God to help him, he hears his own cry for help. God, my life is a mess, and all I have done is brought pain and suffering into the world. Is there any hope for me? God, I'm standing here watching another person die. Is this really the legacy of my life? This cry of someone who knows that they too are separated from God, that they have sin and regrets in their life and they have no idea what to do with them and they cry out. And when Jesus cries out on the cross, this centurion hears his own cry for help. I've been thinking this week about this image of just hearing Jesus cry out. I've been thinking about the cries in our culture today that are going up from us, from humanity, really. Cries for justice as important trials take place. Cries for help from people struggling with mental illness, crying out for peace. As we watch this pandemic stubbornly keep its grip on people's lives, cries of enough And as Jesus cries out on the cross to God, he expresses that feeling in our hearts that this is just not right. This is not how the world is supposed to be. And along with this cry is the pain of knowing that we are helpless to make it any better or to make any significant changes to it. It's the cry from our bones and from our very soil that we stand on for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in this darkness, the centurion feels his own darkness on the cross. He sees his cross. In Jesus' cry, he hears his cry of being separated from God. But in the cry of Jesus, this Roman centurion hears hope. Because Jesus' cry penetrates his spiritual darkness and he confesses that Jesus, yes, surely and truly, is the Son of God. And for Mark, for his readers and those first listeners of this gospel account, this is shocking. This is stunning news that someone like a Roman centurion would publicly confess that Jesus is the Son of God. This man who'd been loyal to Rome been loyal to the military, was loyal to Pilate, loyal to Caesar, in this moment, transfers his loyalty to Jesus. I got wondering this week, and I took some time to kind of think, I wonder what happened to him. I mean, did he become like the 
Tim Tebow of the ancient world, going on all the talk shows, and he's speaking at all the big men's conferences, giving his testimony. Roman centurion who killed hundreds, who killed Jesus, confesses Jesus as Lord. Now he shows up with his whole armored gear to give his big talk, except for he's got like a Jesus fish tattoo or something like that on his arm. I mean, what happened to him? And then I got thinking about the fact that Rome did not take lightly to its leadership confessing someone else as Lord other than Caesar. So the darkness was his darkness. The cross was his cross. Jesus' cry was his cry. And Jesus' resurrection was his resurrection. He was born to new life born to new life. Easter is not just a sad story with a happy ending. It's the revolutionary story about a God who comes looking for people like you and I, broken and sinful, and sacrifices himself, binding up all of our mess and taking it with him onto the cross so that we can have access to God. And I wonder about you today on this Easter Sunday. If you've heard that verse about the describing the darkness, if you maybe said, you know, there's some darkness in my life too. As you thought about and reflect on the thought of Jesus hanging on a cross, if you have some sense of that's my cross, if as Jesus cries out, you hear your own cry for God, I need help, I need rescue, I need saving too. And as you watch this man transfer his trust and loyalty to Jesus, I wonder if you have done the same. Because God has come for people who are living in darkness. God has come for people who are broken and have shame and regrets. God has come and he's cried out for those who are looking for peace but have not been able to find it on their own. And so today, on this Easter Sunday while we meet online, I want to give you a chance to transfer your loyalty to Jesus. And maybe for some of you today, say, no, I'm a Christian, but you know, I need an anchoring moment in my life to remind myself again and to make a confession that Jesus is the Son of God and I'm going to transfer my life and reorder my life around him again. And maybe for some of you today, it would be the very first time uh, that you would make that decision and make that commitment to say Jesus is the Son of God, and I'm going to begin the process of learning and growing into what that means and allowing God to start giving shape to my life so I can become more and more like Him. Allow me to pray for you today. And the only thing I would say to you is this. If you do today, for the very first time, choose to transfer your loyalty to Jesus, then I invite you to do what the centurion did, to make it known to someone before this day is out. Let me pray. God, today we thank you for this incredible story of someone who seemed like such an unlikely candidate to follow you and to confess you. For someone whose life showed really no signs of being interested, no signs of being uh, uh, the likely candidate to become a Jesus follower. And yet, God, you even in your, this moment on the cross reached out to him, spoke his language, and drew him to yourself. Lord, today I pray for everyone who is watching this service. God, that they would also hear you calling out on their behalf. And Lord, they would hear your invitation 
to follow them and to take the bold and courageous step to transfer their trust to you and make it known. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are in the business on this Easter Sunday of resurrecting lives, and we look forward to seeing how you're at work, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.